Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to talk about something that affects a lot of us, or at some point it has affected us, and that is being single. Navigating that, especially if you're neurodivergent. And this guy has created a website, a business, a practice helping people navigate all of this stuff. And he's pretty amazing. He he has a lot of energy. He's a, an amazing clinician and has some unique approaches to things that we deal with all the time. Today, it's going to be being single, especially around the holidays, too. Dr. Matt is with us. Hey, Matt, how are you? Oh, it's always great to be here. Wonderful to have you back here. And I know this is a, I know we talked previously about your relationship with your wife, and you guys met just because there was a, I guess a uh, a connection there in terms of your work. You guys actually now work together, right? Yeah. Well, we we met on the first day of grad school, and I remember thinking to myself, "Well, this is very convenient," um, you know. And it's this idea that you know, I mean, we were actually both seeing other people at the time, um, and over the next five to six weeks, it became very clear that there was something more than friendship going on here. So, you know, and mm. we will be, we will be married 10 years in October. Wow. So it's, you know, it's been a good run, <laughs> um, you know, but it's really one of those things where like, you know, I mean, I will be the first to admit like, that's very lucky, you know, and I was very lucky about that because I think like a lot of people, I certainly had moments, weeks, months, maybe a year or two where I'm like, is the person for me even out there? Why do we think that if we haven't found it? And why is it so challenging to find somebody that supports us, connects with us? Well, you know, when we think about connection, right, one of the things that we need to talk about is that from a society perspective, we get all these really weird and conflicting messages about dating, love, romance, sex, all of this stuff, right? Like, you know, how many movies have you watched where the plot line is, can these two characters get together and fall in love, right? And it, it gives us this me- message, subtly and sometimes not so subtly, that if you're not in a relationship, there's something wrong with you. Right. Yep. Right? You know, and how many characters from pop culture, you know, the, you know, the, you know, committed single characters, you know, their arc ends up being that they fall in love and get married, right? You know, we get a lot of messaging and thus a lot of pressure to engage in these monogamous romantic sexual relationships. And that's not everybody. That's not everybody's journey, right? So the first thing we need to think about is, like, do we love ourselves? And then do are we using that love we have for ourselves to put ourselves in positions to find the kind of people that we can create good relationships with. And I mean relationships in a broad sense, right? I mean relationships like friendships, coworkers, drinking buddies, road trip pals. Mm-hmm. And then if those, and then under that umbrella would include romantic, sexual relationships as well. It's so funny because I am single, I'm dating, uh, and everything you said totally resonates right down to meeting new people and just friendships and did a road trip uh, like a year and a half ago with, uh, it was me and another guy and uh, four women. And we were all just friends. We all went down. 
that's where you really learn what people are about. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of when I was single, one of my check marks was the road trip test. Wow. You've got to be able to drive somewhere with someone for, like, at least two hours and not murder each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Even as friends, like I've, I have lifelong friends, but I can go back to when I was in my twenties, when we all went on vacation together for the first time, then the second time, third time, and not even a road trip, just flying somewhere, dropping on an Island. You, you find out in a week what somebody is really like. I even experienced mm-hmm. that this year. I went on two trips with somebody I'm dating and first one was great. Second one, little bit of stuff going on there but it was it was more of a communication thing um but things revealed themselves that's where i'm going with that absolutely (laughs) yeah wow you know i want to go back to what you said because it is pretty universal in that you have to we always hear this you have to love yourself before you can really find love or love others why i mean i've heard it a, a million times and i believe it but why is that? Why why does that the love the proper love for yourself foster good relationships? So there are there are two directions. There's a bidirectionality to that. The first piece of this is that, and it's also worth noting that loving yourself is not a finish line you cross. Right? It is a journey. It is a pathway. You'll be trying to love yourself for the rest of your life. Right? Hmm. But. If you are on that journey, you have come to come to accept the parts of yourself that are a little sticky or a little sharp or a little weird, and you've taken steps to at least come to grips with those things or, you know, seek to improve them, right? I've always, you know, I've always been a little bit on the heavy side, and... You know, right around the time I started going to grad school, I had, like, finally just decided, like, hey, you know what? If I'm a little bit on the heavier side, I should probably wear pants that fit me rather than trying to squeeze into pants that don't fit me that, I de- that I've decided this is the kind of size pants I should wear, right? And it's amazing how much a little thing like wear, giving yourself permission to wear clothes that fit the body you have, mm. tall, short, fat, skinny, busty, flat, whatever it might be, right, makes you look and feel better and thus makes you more attractive and confident, right? It's, it's the sort of thing. It's, I mean, it really is, you know, part of self-love is self-acceptance. Like, this is who I am, right? And then that comes, you know, so that's the internal journey. The external journey is that, you don't want someone to fix you, right? That's, I mean, you want a partner. And, and people, you know, you know, you know I mean, <laughs> we live in a red flag culture, right? Like, there's, you know, if you're out there like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm a man child. I've never paid a bill in my life. I haven't, I haven't seen a vegetable outside a restaurant in 16 years. I mean, that is a person that has a giant blinking sign on that says, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. And not too many people are going to sign up for the long-term journey of fixing someone. You can partner with them and help them grow. You know, my wife helps me with a lot of organizational stuff and keeping me, keeping my feet on the ground, and I help push her outside of her comfort zone. Neither of us need to be fixed, but we part of the reason we work as a relationship is our strengths and, and weaknesses align in really positive ways. 
do people get together, and sometimes for the wrong reason, to fill in the gaps with the, what, just what you said? And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're just, you know, going through life and, and, and it works, you know, it can work for a while, but eventually sometimes it doesn't. Uh, is that why, you know, do we seek what we don't have? I mean, absolutely. Right. And, and if you look back over your dating history, you may find that you swing back and forth between extremes, right? You go for the, you know, the, the good girl and then you get bored. So then you date the bad girl that you're, you know, your folks might not like. And then that explodes, and then you're like, well, I'm going to be single for a while. And you're like, oh, but I want to settle down with a nice girl. And then you go back to that, right? It's, you know, what you're doing there is you're chasing things you think you need, right? You're trying to fill some gap or, or close some narrative. I mean, listen, ask anybody who knew me in my teens and 20s. I had a serious, you know, white horse syndrome thing. I was going to be the guy who saved this girl, Right. And one of my dear friends sat me down once. She's like, the reason you are finding yourself in relationships that don't work is because you're putting yourself in this role of needing to save them, which, regardless of how good your intentions are, reads a little awful, right? (laughs) Because it's like, there's something so wrong with you, you need to be saved. Nobody wants to hear that, right? I mean, so, it, you know, like, she's like, Stop thinking you need to save them. Stop thinking about who do you want to partner with? Who do you want to, you know, share a meal with, to watch a movie with, to go on a road trip with? That was a huge shift in my life. You know, and it really changed. Like, I mean, like, I was so big that I, like, changed all my dating profiles and, like, stopped talking to certain people at parties because I said, wow, you're right. I've got to, you know, I've got to value the person I'm chatting to, not look at them as some project to be to be finished why do you think that you you were the fixer the saver at that time what 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 was in within you that you were the one that would i guess even even just attract those those types of people that maybe needed some help well i mean there's a there's a there's a way to connect with people around your challenges that is very very, gets very emotionally intense very quickly. And when you're neurodivergent and you are drawn to these intense emotional experiences, it fits that broader narrative in your brain, right? It's like, oh, this is a dopamine bomb. It must be good, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that if we're, you know, if we're going to sit on the couch a little bit, I think the other piece of it is that by saving someone else, you hope that then that person would turn around and say, now, how can I save you? Right? Mm. It becomes this sort of thing. We we seek to save others because we are we are aware of our own damage, and and thinking, well, gosh, maybe somebody would want to save me. Right? But that's a hard thing to ask for. So we end up asking for seeking the opposite of that thing. Wow. Uh, yeah, we're getting a little deep here, but it's really, re- yeah. I think, really yeah. impactful. Um, do you think, well, there's all different reasons why, and we're just, we're centering on this one situation, but I think it's a strong one where we want to help somebody else. Many of us want to be the fixer, you know, we're here to, you know, help others, uh, which takes away from ourselves, and we don't support ourselves. But maybe it's also because in some situations we seek uh, appreciation. We want validation 
you know, we help somebody do something or, you know, maybe get into a relationship and we, we just kind of help them along the way. Um, and then we're, we're, we're looking for that, eh, call it approval, you know, thank you so much. You're so great. And because maybe we didn't have that growing up. Does that sound reasonable? I mean, absolutely. I, you know, one of the, one of the weird quirks I have is that I take birth, I take other people's birthdays very seriously. Like I am a big birthday person. You know, and it's because my birthday is really close to Halloween. So growing up, my birthday was never a big deal because it was always so close to Halloween, right? So I, you know, we, um, you know, in psychology, we call this sublimation, right? So I sublimated those desires for someone to pay attention to my birthday by making sure that everybody else's birthdays got a lot of attention. And, you know, one of the things I worked on with my therapist was, yeah, hey, that was easier and safer for you than raising your hand and said, excuse me, I would very much like someone to take my birthday seriously, please. Mm. Right. And that's terrifying. It's so scary. So you just sort of, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if you, if you're at a singles mix or you're at a happy hour and you're chatting to somebody and you do that self deprecating humor, like, Oh, I'm not that good. I'm not that successful. If you're saying those things because you desperately want that person to look you in the eye and say, hey, yes, you are. You're very successful. You're super. You're a superstar. You're very attractive. I'm ready to sleep with you right now. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's why we do those things, because it feels safer to give the opposite of what we want, because we want people to identify that as as that cry for help and and respond to it. You know, think about being back in high school, how many times did you tell someone, I have a crush on this person, but don't tell them, you know, the implicit wink, right? And then, you know, a day or two later, it's like, hey, I heard you, you know, my friend said that you have a crush on me. It's like, what? I can't believe this information is out in public right now. You know? Yep. It's it's just what we do. <laughs> I've, I've learned this, that when you are when you're meeting somebody, let's say you're on an app, dating app, whatever, yeah. just go with your gut. Cause it's usually, yeah. it's usually right. If you're thinking to yourself, you know, and it's not that you want to derail it or manifest something that's not positive. But if you're saying to yourself, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll go, I'll check it out. I don't know. I, I, you know, my, something's telling me not really the right person. Um, maybe doesn't look like their pictures, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, I think he's usually right. Whatever you're thinking is usually the right answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of my favorite simple psychology tests is what I call the yes test. And this is a very good, this applies very well to dating, right? You're at a happy hour. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'd like to take you out sometime. And you look at them and you think about the situation. If your body doesn't say, yeah, then it's a no. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you're like, well, I might like them more over dinner, or I might like them more at the concert they want to take me to. Yeah, maybe. Right? I mean, I can't tell you there's no chance that's true. But, you know, as a general rule of thumb, like, the things that are best for us are the things we say, right? It's true. And, you know, think about the road trip, right? There are friends in your life that if they said, yo, we're going to drive, we're going to drive to you know, Daytona Beach for the NASCAR race, you coming? There are some people in your life you'd say, yeah, to. And some people would be like, oh, gosh, I got to 
Yeah, my cat is sick, and I uh, gotta alphabetize my shoes. And yeah, it's right. just not a good weekend for me, right? Yep. And, and well, you're fine. doing that while you're waiting for a better offer, even for Absolutely. could be a friend. Like, yeah, you know, it's gonna be good. And what else, what else I could be right. doing? And you know, if nothing comes up, well, I guess I'll go. But you know, it's probably not the best. By the way, I'll share with you. Um, when I went on that road trip, it was Ocean City, Maryland. Mm-hmm. One and of my favorite places. It was wonderful. Um, it was great. We had a great time. Just even with the guy that I was hanging with, uh, we became friends. You know, I was with my best friend, saw him at a bar, and we passed by. We, like, did the stare, like, you know, what the hell are you looking at? What are you looking at? It was like, yeah. hey, you want a you beer? Yeah, okay. And we became friends. So we connected with other friends, women. All, all I'm going to say is the women had a riff with one of the one of them one of them wound up staying in maryland and didn't want to come back with us <laughs> and it was all her issue you know it, it all of us yeah. said the same thing that she is she has she has a lot of challenges in her life but we figured it would be okay um but that was my you know to the point of what we said before where you really figure people out and all of us are all still friends um she's not part of the group anymore it just she's just a a lot of work and she she has things that she needs to work through there's, there's no doubt about it yeah <laughs> uh i i love what you said there about knowing like just the 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 this is the this is this is feels good i want to do this i'm going to hang with this person in whatever capacity um neurodivergent when we use that term what what exactly does that mean i want it to be clear for everybody so neurodivergent is a person with a different brain, right? So about 70% of people are neurotypical. Their brains fall within more or less normal parameters. Um, people who are neurodivergent would be ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, gifted, um, dyspraxic. There's a lot of OCD. They all fall under this umbrella because their brains quite literally work differently. They're structured differently. Um, and one of the things we know about neurodivergent people is they develop asynchronous. So if we think about a neurotypical person, remember most people are neurotypical. A 20-year-old neurotypical person is more or less 20 years old socially, emotionally, intellectually, academically, and physically. More or less they hold together. A neurodivergent 20-year-old is going to have a much more out-of-sync developmental pattern. So they might be intellectually 28 and academically 26 and socially 19 and emotionally 15. Hmm. And we know that this is a thing that happens because during the developmental process, there's only so much developmental energy to go around and so much of it goes to the brain, that, uh, well, to the, to the parts of the brain that you know, create intelligence and personality that other things lag. Right? So, you know, it's like if you went to the gym and you only worked on your arms and your, and your, um, and your, your arms and your legs, your core would fall by the wayside because you're not putting it, there's not only so much workout to go around. Right? So the way that this shakes out for a lot of neurodivergent people is they struggle to connect with other people because you're 20 years old, but you want to talk to, grad students and doctors, because those are your intellectual peers, but do you have the social and emotional infrastructure to manage those conversations? Hmm. And that's where working with a therapist, that's where understanding more about your neurodivergence 
comes in because it can support you in A, understanding those differences, and B, doing something about them. Is it just a factor of the way the brain works that some of that stuff all didn't happen at the same time? It kind of, you know, one thing maybe lagged, maybe your, uh, your emotional skills mm-hmm. were kind of left behind there, uh, but other yep. things did did progress like, call what's normal? I was going to say that word. There, there is well, none. Absolutely, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why we use the word typical, right? Yeah, okay. Typical has a, right, slightly more normative tone to it. And, yep. and the, the big thing to take away from this is that there is no good or bad developmental pathway. Your pathway is your pathway, right? We're all works in progress, you know? And, like, I remember, you know, you know as a neurodivergent person myself, like, you know, feeling that social asynchrony very much in middle school. Like, it felt all of a sudden like everybody was dating. It felt like everybody was holding hands and going out to lunch together. And I just was like, I want to watch cartoons. I want to, I, I, I don't really understand what the whole fuss is about here. You know, and, and then, you know, summer before freshman year of high school, I went to summer camp, and it was like puberty hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, there I am. Like, okay, I caught up. I understand what this is all about now. Like, huh, girls, girls are, oh, oh, okay, yeah, neat, right? So it's the sort of thing, like, it's not good or bad, and it's not even a process you can necessarily rush through, but it is something that you can, you can, you know, by understanding where you're starting, it gives you a reasonable place to set goals from because you know, here is my starting point. It might not be everybody else's starting point. Right. And it's, you, know, you never know how life is going to take you. Like I was connected with somebody um, who only was with one person and that person passed away. So in terms of her... I guess, guess skills in, in in relationships and things like that. Um, that there was some some challenges there, without a doubt. And I didn't even realize it until somebody even said to me. They said, "You know what? It's kind of like high school, what you're talking about." And I'm a little, you know, I'm a little. I think I'm a little deeper than the average guy. Um, right. So that that you know that kind of affected me in terms of that you know the relationship. There were some challenges there. Uh, I guess that's the best way to describe it, right? And what, and what you might find challenging, somebody else might find, you know, captivating. Right. right? There's, you know, it's, it's, nothing is good or bad, right? It's just, it's, does it fit with the person you are and the person you want to be? Right. And that's why we need to ask ourselves these questions. Because <laughs> if we don't, we're flying blind. Yep. Right? You know, if, you know, if you go to the grocery store without a plan, you're going to end up buying three boxes of, Captain Crunch when you already have Captain Crunch at home. Exactly. You know, you're, you're the thing where you're like, do I need salsa? I might need salsa. Should I buy salsa? You go back, you have three jars of salsa in the fridge, all like two-thirds full, right? Yep. <laughs> it's just, right, taking, taking the time to sit back, gather your thoughts, gather your feelings, and then move forward with intention is the best way to, to create any relationship, right? And, you know, one of my favorite therapy bumper stickers is to say, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, right? If you've reached this point in your life, you've probably been reasonably successful at meeting some sort of person. And it's probably the person who might as well be wearing red flags to the bar. Mm -hmm. And you're like, ah, yes, 
this is the sort of person I tend to hook up with. Let me go ahead and do that. And at some point, if you want to shake out of that pattern, you have to say, I know what's behind this door. I know what this pathway looks like for me. I'm going to intentionally try and take a different door, and that's scary, and it's hard, and I'm not very experienced at it. But I know if I knock on a different door and enter in a different way, I'm going to get different outcomes, and and that might be the outcome I need. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes there may be a period of um, isolation. You might not be hanging with anybody because you need to weed out just what you said, Matt, that it, you, you know, that is the wrong door. It's just, it's the, it's the same door you always, you know, and again, I guess it goes back to your gut. And for me, it's even the conversation, you know, initially when you're texting, even before you've even spoken, let's say you've met, you know, on an app, which is, you know, not the best place, but kind of the way it goes these days. Um, I can tell right away, right away in terms of yeah. texting, messaging with somebody, what, what, yeah. what's coming <laughs> without a doubt. Uh, interesting talk today. And uh, thank you for, you know, the, the, the deeper details on neurodivergence. Um, would you say, would you say that we all have a degree of that in some regards? It's a really, it's a great question. And I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, you know, as someone who specializes in working with gifted kids, a lot of times teachers and parents will say to me, well, aren't all kids gifted? And I say, all kids have gifts, right? Like, I'm an above-average cook, right? That is a gift I have. But I'm not a gifted chef. I'm not Bobby Flay, right? You know, I can follow a recipe. I'm pretty good at what I do, right? But when it comes to drawing or when it comes to therapy or when it comes to giving a talk, that's where I am gifted. I am quite literally different than other people. And I use the word different intentionally because it's not better. It's different. So, you know, when you think about everybody has differences because the brain is a unique and challenging thing. And, you know, there's increasing evidence to support that every brain is unique in its own way. But what we're talking about here is the difference between, um, think about it this way. The average American man is five foot ten, right? I'm six foot. I'm six feet tall, so I am not average. I am not the average height, but I'm close enough to average to not be terribly significant. Sure. My next door neighbor, who's six foot eight, that he's an outlier, right? That is significantly different. Yep. So you know, nobody likes to pay attention to stuff that they don't like to pay attention to. The difference between that person and a person with ADHD is that the part of their brain, the prefrontal cortex that sustains attention, literally does not work as well. So it's not a, it's not a, I don't want to pay attention, it's I can't pay attention, right? I cannot focus that thing. So when we get, when we ground these differences in, in brain science, it gets out of, you know, quirks and likes and dislikes into physical structural differences. So that's where, you know, that's where we broaden the, uh, idea from isn't everybody like this to oh no no this is a like a major difference does that make sense yeah yeah totally um it's interesting it's fascinating talking with you you know and you do break it down and make it understandable it doesn't go too deep at least that's my yeah. feeling uh, overall which is super cool um and just learning how you know how we think really that's what it comes yeah. down to if um somebody wants to 
consult with you. Uh, you know, even I know you do a lot of uh, public speaking and events on all of these topics. How do we connect with you, Dr. Matt? Yeah, uh, we've got a really fun Facebook community. Uh, Dr. Matt Sikreski, well, facebook.com slash Dr. Matt Sikreski. Um, and then um, the name of my therapy practice is the NeuroDiversityCollective.com. And, you know, it might seem funny for a psychologist who specializes in neurodiversity to be talking about dating, but, it, you know, to me this is all about the idea that therapy is the place where we make unspoken things spoken. Like, this is where we talk about, you know, the things that are challenging to us that we don't necessarily have spaces in our lives to discuss otherwise. Like, if you don't have a best friend, who do you talk to about dating and sex and what do you wear on a date and what apps should you use? Like, therapy can be a place to work through that stuff and set those intentions we talked about to not just get what you've always gotten, to go out and find that person or those people mm. or those scenarios where you can create the relationships that are really going to set your world on fire. You know, we started talking about uh, dating, but really what this all comes down to is relationships. Relationships. It's so important, you know, where you're intentional about who you hang with, uh, how you find different relationships. Uh, the website is the neurodiversitycollective.com. Dr. Matt, as always, great Great hanging with you. Great talking with you. And just want to wish you and your family a, a great holiday season. Well, same to you, my friend. And I thank you for taking the risk. This was a, a little bit out of the comfort zone today, but I think we crushed it. <laughs> I totally agree. And uh, I got to go back on the dating app now, so I will uh, catch up with you. <laughs> it's all good. Good luck. It's all good. Thank you. All right. We'll talk soon, okay? Cheers. Thanks. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah. Buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's like a dozen Sarahs in my class. Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah. Seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is, like, busy, you know? I wonder if there's pizza at school today. Sometimes it can be tough to get through to your kids, but it's not impossible. Always make sure they're wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Remember, you have the keys, you have the power. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information.